Hello and welcome to Navigating Nursing. I am your host, Laura Whitehead, a registered adult nurse, a critical care nurse, qualified lecturer and fellow of the Higher Education Academy. And I'm joined today by Nicola Rudkin, who is the Deputy Associate Director of Nursing for Surgery and Head of Nursing for the Queen Elizabeth Critical Care Unit during the pandemic. Hello Nicola and thanks so much for joining me today. Hiya. So let's take you right back to the beginning. Did you always want to be a nurse? As far back as I can probably remember, yes. Um, I had some kind of health issues from quite a young age. And so I had quite a lot of interaction with kind of health services. Um, and I think that kind of left a bit of a lasting mark, to be honest. And from as long as I could remember, it was something I wanted to pursue. And, you know, went with that intent, decided to take kind of a gap year before actually starting my training. Um, and at, originally I was applying for a program that would have um, seen me qualify as a, a district nurse that was it was a four-year program and you're actually coming out as a district nurse but in my gap year they changed the program and they shortened it and it would have been had to be something I did as a separate kind of entity but actually in hindsight I'm, I'm quite glad that that was the case and you know went into kind of frontline acute nursing and, and have stayed because say your career would have been so different if that yeah. yeah if that had been the same well we'll accept that so thank you whoever changed that program <laughs> and you trained at the University of Manchester and then you worked in vascular as your newly qualified uh, post was vascular always an area that you were interested in during your training probably not as in I probably knew very little about vascular nursing it was it was actually just by design in the sense that it ends up being my final kind of acute placement. But then having spent, you know, three months on placement there, I uh, got to know the team and enjoyed the work. And obviously, vascular was busy. It was fast paced. The surgical um, really enjoyed it. And they were really keen for me to stay on um, in my newly qualified post. And yeah, I gladly kind of took them up with that. And it was a it was a really great kind of first position, to be honest you know, to get the foundations um, of nursing care, of surgical nursing. We also had like a, a four bedded high observation bay monitored patients. So it actually gave you a little bit of an insight into more acute, um, you know, caring for deteriorating patients. We used to have quite a lot of interface with our critical care outreach team. Um, and I suppose it was kind of that first job that gave me the little taster of what potentially critical care could be and you know more acute and caring for deteriorating patient um, and they offered me the chance to progress actually on that ward and I was keen but I thought I still had so much to learn you know just one ward one specialty um, and actually there's a group of us who trained together who all worked in the same hospital once we qualified and we just kind of a bit spontaneous to be honest we all said should, should we move to London and I bet they all <laughs> love that I bet the ward <laughs> So we were like, uh, well, let's let's do it. So we just applied really for whatever was going at the time. So actually, my choice of applying for a, a rotation program, I suppose, again, it was a bit by chance. Um, I mean, it, it, it kind of fitted with what I wanted to do in the sense that I wanted to broaden my experience and actually being able to rotate places. That was the ideal opportunity for that because you got to see things without having to formally apply and then leave and apply for something else. So it kind of fitted. I also applied specifically for a job at Bart's Hospital um, on a head and neck surgery ward and was interviewed for that as well as the rotation programme. 
and they offered me the post and the rotation program offered me the post so as a compromise I decided that actually I'd, t- I'd do my first rotation placement with them because I felt the a perfect combination <laughs> yeah um so yeah I took up it was a, a degrade rotation at what was then Bart's in the London um and that first placement was on head and neck surgery at, at St Bart's and it, it was really diff- different to vascular yes it was a surgical ward but it was a, a quite a mixed ward there was a lot of ENT um, max facts um, ophthalmology so there was quite a lot of surgery that was very short stay almost sometimes day case um, so there was a lot of turnover of patients back and forth to to theatres but then there was a, a very small cohort of the ward which was the kind of complex head and neck cancers people who'd have you know tracheostomies or laryngectomies and we'd look after them kind of one-to-one uh, when they were being stepped down from critical care and again that was another kind of flavor of well critical care but then you know you'd care for that patient and if they were not doing well and they go back to critical care it disappeared off and you you also you a bit kind of had that cycle yes you kind of lost you're like well what happens and what are they going to do that we're not doing here and and that's why I decided that I'd, I'd I requested that my next placement would be to critical care and that was at the Royal London and yeah they agreed (laughs) so I started probably the worst possible time to start a kind of new job in critical care I mean aside to perhaps a global pandemic um but the my first week um at the Royal London ITU was the week immediately following the London bombings oh wow so it was kind of yeah intense really intense um obviously the unit was really busy they had a lot of patients um obviously affected um from the incident um you know staffing was fraught so I had a very short induction um a very 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 short induction there's the staff room (laughs) yeah a very short um supernumerary kind of period probably it was probably about two or three days obviously then I was working alongside a qualified member of staff, um, but it was it wasn't possible to be kind of supernumerary for a prolonged period at that time. Um, but I mean, I suppose what struck me was just how amazing these nurses were. I just couldn't believe it. You know, the state of the patients that were in, the emotional kind of turmoil of this incident that had happened. Obviously, at, at that time there was a most of the patients were unidentified um, and, you know, family were not being permitted to visit and because we hadn't linked up patients with families and things. And I was just in awe of them, you know, what they were doing, not just in terms of, you know, physically caring for the patients, but just um, their strength. And I just, I, yeah, I just wanted to be one of those nurses. And um, I mean, don't get me wrong, it was petrifying. I bet, uh, so overwhelming. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, it was all about having those exceptional nurses around you who are willing, even in these extreme circumstances, to take their time to teach you and, you know, show you even things like, I can remember making the, taking the first telephone call from a family and having to update them. And I was just absolutely petrified, you know, what we're going to say, what they're going to ask and what if they ask something I can't explain about you know but it was all to do with the kind of support and encouragement of the people around you and actually some of those people that were there then and taught me then are still part of the ACC now you know and 
are such an important part of it as well and I think you know and have had such an impact on probably so many nurses as kind of so careers, careers. <laughs> it's huge and I think as well a lot of the time when we move to like ITU or critical care you think of like the ventilators the EVDs the drains you think of all the kind of clinical skills that you don't know and actually I was the same I remember yeah having to make the first phone call and it was like but what, yeah what if they ask a question and I remember Anne was there and she was like I'll stand here and then I'll listen and then if there's something that I think you need to say I'll like and she was there like and you just think you're there and you feel like you're almost like being a child and it's like no I'm an adult and I'm a qualified nurse and I've been qualified for years but that, that phone call and and the first conversation around you know not for resus or withdrawal of treatment or limiting treatment or and that was it it's like but what what do you say like how do you even broach and I don't think that I think maybe at university or undergrad level that isn't even mentioned is it it's not even no. it's not even something that's considered until you go to that clinical area it's because you you know you're a couple of years into your career and you feel like you know you've, you've come out of your training you've consolidated you're pretty competent at what you're doing um, and you've built up you know your level of skill and expertise and you're trusted by the team around you and then you move to a specialty and all of a sudden you just feel as if you're a student again yeah I can't, it's like, I can't even make a phone call on my own it's like yeah how have I gone from like running a resus department last week in A&E and now I'm like so if they say are they unstable do I mean yes or do I mean no and you just you're yeah. right it's and it's really unsettling isn't it to go from feeling really confident and comfortable to then right at the bottom on the first rung of the ladder really yeah absolutely but I think if you're willing to push yourself outside your comfort zone to do that you know what you gain from it is massive isn't it you know I don't think I would like looking back I don't think I'd want to would have wanted to have not gone into kind of surgical ward nursing first and 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 gone straight to critical care because I think what I gained from doing other things first you know was really beneficial and getting that foundation not to criticize people that do go into you know critical care straight off the bat but for me I liked to get a bit more breadth in what I was doing before I moved into the specialty and I found it helped me in my kind of journey. Yeah, and I think roles going forward yeah having that awareness of oh, discharge communication with teams CCOT I think having that we call it background don't we but but having that that foundation knowledge really then also can give you that confidence particularly if things like ward transfers or talking to wards or I think if you've worked on one you're aware of why they're so maybe stressed about getting a patient that's got a tracheostomy at nine o'clock at night where if you haven't done that before and you're you're used to critical care you think well of course that's something very easy to manage why are you nervous about that or why do you want me to teach you that where it gives you that greater awareness doesn't it yeah I, th- I definitely advocate, you know, even if it was only a short spell, but some exposure somewhere else before kind of progressing into the specialty definitely helps. And you've really gone up the band. So you, you know, you were your uh, D grade and then you've moved on, you were a band six and then a seven um, in intensive care. And then you moved on to be a matron. How did you find going from being a band seven to a band eight? I mean, in terms of me and my career progression, I've never really had a, a plan you know, a fixed career plan. I, I wasn't particularly like fixed on, well, I, I want to be a matron in critical care. I, For me, kind of progression has just been a natural transition once I got to that stage and I felt like, well, actually, I, you know, I've, I'm, I'm performing above what is expected of me at this level. And I, actually, it just feels like a natural time to kind of progress to the next level. Um, I was a bit uh, probably nervous about moving from the kind of band seven role to a matron role because Yes, I know as a band seven, you do much less direct patient care, but you're still clinical. You're a clinical leader. You're on the floor. You're responsible for the team and the patients. And, you know, the decision making, you know, stops with you as a clinical leader on that floor. Whereas the matron, it's, you need that 
expertise from a clinical background in critical care and you use it in your kind of planning and your strategy and everything you do but it's 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 using it a different way and it's I suppose what I didn't really know is what was the matron's role going to be like because you 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 see bits and pieces of the matron and you and you have your own ideas of what you think the role might be but actually tangibly on a day-to-day basis what am I actually going to be doing yeah what does the uh, yeah when I get there on a Monday what what do I actually do yeah and you know when you're progressing in other roles you know from five to six and six to seven there's so many other people around you who are doing those roles and you can rely on and ask but when when you're taking on the matron's role and, and the former matron's outgoing and, and it has gone well there isn't anyone to ask you know <laughs> yes you're there's the- other, yeah there's other matrons in other services to ask about you know the the wider aspects and you know policy and standards and you know that kind of thing but the actual matrons post in that service you kind of yeah you've just got to find your way and um it was again it was it was a bit like that big transition to moving into a specialty it was taking away everything you were comfortable with and secure with and you know feeling I've worked all these years in critical care and I'm a pretty competent uh, clinical practitioner and all of a sudden I just felt like a duck out of water like (laughs) and I mean I think it helped because you knew the service you knew the team you knew what kind of what the priority should be what we need to be focused on and and then you just have to find your way I guess (laughs) yeah and work it out (laughs) yeah (laughs) Just in simple terms, just got to yeah. work out the job, really. <laughs> you've got a job description, so you've got a, you know, a broad uh, framework to, to go off. But, you know, the day to day aspect, definitely. Um, and then you then went on to for a year and you were the senior nurse for Periop Nursing within the Trust. How did you yeah. find, did you find that transition easier from being the matron to that role? Or again, was it very different? Uh, so some aspects, um I think were easy because by the point I took on that role I'd been the matron for three years in critical care and I'd had a lot of you know experience and exposure to various scenarios and the kind of leadership and yes the speciality is different but the leadership and managerial how you treat people and how you manage people and how you you know develop and lead a service and think about strategy and education all those things that is kind of transferable it was very strange movement to a new specialty mm. um and I know so periop um at the Royal London you know the, a, a lot of what the theatre there is is very acute so there's a lot of trauma a lot of neuro a lot of very complex surgery yes we did have some day surgical um theatres but it was quite generally quite an acute setting um but it was still a million miles away from kind of what you were used to um, but I had to take the time to get to know the new specialty. So, you know, I would put my scrubs on, get into theatre, observe a list, you know, you know, understanding um, the kind of safety protocols and, you know, the who checklist. And I, I need to just get in there and see it firsthand and ask lots of questions. And um, because at that time, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. You haven't had the five six seven eight years in the specialty that you've lived and breathed so you, you you've got to just put yourself out there um and it was also getting to know the people as well because yes they might have been people that have been down the corridor for me for all these years but you have very limited 
interactions really unless you're talking about you know handing over and recovery and things so actually I think that was a really important part of it just actually getting out onto the floor knowing getting to know the people and um, the teams how things worked and and once you had that then you could start to build the foundations of what you think you need to do next um, and also kind of making sure you kind of reached out to the matrons and and service leads um, to understand from their perspectives as well um, and relying quite heavily on them because you know they're your subject matter experts so you know they were critical in, in helping me adjust to a new specialty I mean I, I know I've said it for probably each of my transitions but <laughs> leaving your specialty after so long within it was um, really pushing yourself outside your comfort zone <laughs> And I found like moving from working clinical to then going to like a university and like an I had absolutely I really didn't know what the job was it was very similar I've got the job description but like what do I what do I actually do as kind of a day-to-day and and I feel like I still think of ITU as my comfort zone and I still want to come back and do bank I put my scrubs on it's like oh like I know this this is familiar it's it's kind of comforting isn't it to go back to the area that where you've been the longest and you feel the most comfortable absolutely and I think you there's a bit of a gravitational pull towards it as well isn't yeah, there is. <laughs> you can't resist <laughs> um, and your role has changed quite a bit due to covid and you've taken on quite well a major leadership role um as part of that queen elizabeth um unit can you just explain a little bit about that for me yeah I mean before the pandemic um I took a role change again already um, so I went from being the senior nurse for Periop to being the deputy associate director of nursing, um, which covered basically half of the surgical division, because obviously the surgical division in the Royal London is massive. Um, so my colleague covers dental um, and the surgical wards, and I covered Periop, so all the theatres that I had been doing in my senior nurse job, but critical care as well, and pain and pre-op assessment, etc. So it's, it's still quite a big patch. So. I'd already moved back towards critical care and back towards my comfort zone and um, and was kind of settling into that. And then obviously the pandemic hit and there was a very urgent need for kind of the rapid um, expansion of services. Um, obviously, we've had two significant waves. Um, I'd say in some ways, whilst the second wave has been harder because the impact has been far greater in terms of the patient numbers um, that we had to care for. In some ways it was easier because we'd had the experience of the first wave. Um, So in the first wave, we expanded from the baseline beds of 44 um, critical care, obviously 22 level two, 22 level three, um, up to a maximum of 86 patients um, we had in the first wave. So almost doubled. Um, but the acuity of those patients was predominantly nearly all level three at the peak. So, you know, it was much higher acuity. What was so difficult about that was, well, one, we'd never faced anything like that before in terms of um, a global pandemic. We'd never had to do mass redeployment. We didn't have, um, you know, the infrastructure. So we were expanding into whatever suitable space there was available. You know, we were it was basically like we were a space occupying lesion in the hospital we were spreading out wherever we could go you know we went into adult recovery we went into pediatric recovery we went into renal hdu um and you know all these little pockets but it was really hard to manage because it was all geographically very separate and then you having to put the, you know the, the infrastructure and the support around that so resources were spread really thin um obviously it was an anxious time 
for anyone anyway, you know, regardless of what you have to do for your job, everyone was personally experiencing the pandemic. Um, and then people being redeployed, people having fear about their own safety and not understanding about the implications of the virus. And so it was, it, it was immense. Uh, and thankfully, our, our former Adon, who'd left and moved to Newham, um, agreed to come back um, to support the critical care expansion and she was invaluable um, and together we worked to kind of lead the expansion and I think we thought we pretty much thought we were heroes to get to 86 beds. Yeah. <laughs> um, no but you were literally. Yeah, I know. Um, but then in the second wave that 86 seemed tiny you know so in the second peak we got to a total of 151 patients but the main difference being was that we'd you know rapidly fitted out two empty wards two empty floors within the hospital at pace during the first wave so we had a purpose-built facility and when I say purpose-built it was obviously designed to be used in a kind of pandemic situation it was a big open plan ward um you know nightingale style and so there was good visibility and ability to work as a team um, not ideal kind of for long-term critical care use you know the facilities and infrastructure is not quite there we didn't have simple things like curtains between beds and patient bathrooms and so you know it wouldn't work as a a, a long-term critical care unit but in this very acute setting it was it, it worked perfectly particularly when you're working on expanded nursing ratios um, so that actually if you if you're an IT nurse having to oversee the care of a group of three four patients you need to have those patients around you where you can yeah, see them you need that you can, visibility yeah you need to see the staff that you're working with because obviously you're working with um often not critical care nurses registered nurses and we even had you know doctors and other MDT members taking on nursing type roles uh, to support the gap because whilst we did mass redeployment of uh, several hundreds of staff it, it still wasn't enough for what the kind of patient need and demand was we got to 151 patients we'd set up the next ward the next 30 bedded ward with the physical equipment and stocks and supplies ready to go but we didn't have the flex to push to open those beds again because you know that would have pushed us to one to five ratios as a standard and the patients were too sick um i mean it was again and my colleague Emma, who'd come back to help in the first wave, she retired in December and she had the, the shortest retirement ever. I was uh, so excited I interviewed her for the podcast and I think it was like her last week and she was like, yeah, I'm probably going to have like a week, two weeks and then I'm actually back. <laughs> yeah, so she had the shortest retirement ever and then she came back again to critical care to support the expansion. Um, but And we did it together again and obviously we could learn and what we we'd done the first time but it, it was tremendously difficult because obviously you're trying to lead a team who are doing the most phenomenal things but the moral distress felt by the team by not being able to deliver the standard of care they, they aspire to was you know really hard to manage and you're trying to reassure people and say look what you're doing is amazing and what you're doing is you are giving patients the the chance to survive this because yeah, we could we could stop. We could we could not go past our forty four beds, and we could not admit people. And you know, you'd turn people away in A and E, and patients would die. Or we keep admitting, and yes, we're not able to give the standard of care that we would ordinarily give, and we'd like to give. But we're going to give the best standard of care we can, and we're going to give more people the chance at, at surviving this virus. 
and you know it it was really hard you just had to try and reassure people motivate people but you had to be the advocates because you're interfacing with you know the executive team and representing the specialty and you know setting out realistic expectations of what we can actually do and what is our limit and where we need more help and thankfully when we said we needed more help and we needed to mobilize you know bigger groups of staff and we need to move um get teams to work differently you know things like getting our pharmacy services to actually come onto the floor and draw up medications because if we've got one nurse looking after four patients they can't draw up all the drug infusions so somebody else who can draw up drug infusions needs to be out there doing that so we had to be creative mm. and think about what other resources we could use to form a much more kind of task orientated approach to care but it it was what we could achieve in in the circumstances and I mean I think the timing of it couldn't have been worse everyone was exhausted after what had been the most difficult year of their careers anyway and really people just wanted the chance to have a Christmas of some description yeah, you know to, and then it it hit us in, in you know that that week leading up to Christmas and then the, and the two weeks over Christmas and New Year were the worst and all you want all I wanted was for them to have a break but you know so it, it couldn't have been worse but they were absolutely amazing and you know I was just in absolute awe of what they achieved together and all of the feedback the team got about the support they gave to all the redeployed workforce and the level of care and professionalism and you know the fact that they continue to try and teach and orientate all these redeployed staff coming through in the most extreme of circumstances it made me very proud of the team and of our specialty and you know it, yeah it's and now I can't believe we're coming out the other side of it you know what well, at one point it thought it wouldn't it would never we're end never gonna but, end and yeah now. but patient numbers are back down we're not quite at baseline numbers and we're probably looking at keeping probably at least a 15 bedded ward open for covid for the foreseeable future um but obviously there's all the threats of future waves as well and so we still need to be as prepared as possible and make sure we're looking at the learning from this time around to see how we can do things differently or do things the same or what worked and what didn't so yeah it's been an extraordinary time and an enormous challenge but yeah an experience I won't forget <laughs> no you really won't and I think any specialty nurse I spoke that working all over I think the standard of care I think we, it's always instilled in us as registered nurses isn't it we're always going to give the best evidence-based yeah. care to the best of our ability and I think I remember when the NMC released their statement about anyone being referred to you know or there being any kind of cases to answer to that that it, the situation that you're in would be taken into consideration and I remember reading it and thinking I don't think it's going to be that bad. It was quite early on. Yeah. It was early in last March. I remember reading it thinking, that's a bit premature. Like, they really... And I just think, I don't know how naive we were at that time to for that even to be questioned. Yeah. And, and even though you tell people, you know, just do your best, you can't undo what's been years of kind of what's yeah. been trained and it's completely instilled within you. So now, obviously, coming out the other side, people still have those memories and they have those worries about the care they did or didn't give and so it's making sure that they are they continue to be supported because obviously there was resources put in place for psychological support but when you're in the thick of it people don't want to access that kind of thing mm. um, it's almost so, like you haven't got the breathing room or the process room have you and you can't no. unpick it because it's still 
going on. Yeah, and I think if you unpick it too much, it, it's a bit of a risk of things unraveling. And yeah. actually, at the moment, you still have to keep going, isn't it? You know that we're not, but there's going to be a need long term for support to be there. And, and I think this will have changed our team you know our team locally but also I think this will have changed our profession ultimately you know I don't think we'll be the same as we were before the pandemic I think we will lose some people you know it's been too much um which is you know really upsetting but I can understand it I can understand if people want to walk away and 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 do something different because no one ever expected to be in that position no and that's Uh, not what anyone signed up did they that's not no no and I suppose it's still the uncertainty about if and when we get back to kind of business as usual and you know intensive care society standards again and going back to our usual levels of one-to-one nursing and there's all the complexity around the backlog of you know complex surgery that needs to be done and so it's not going to be normal whatever normal is for for some time so yeah that causes a lot of anxiety for people as well I think so now just for a bit of advice, I guess from what you've learned from the pandemic too, but from all of your career, have you got any advice for any student nurses or any newly qualified nurses that are starting their career? Yeah, I mean, I think I've touched on certain kind of themes throughout this, but obviously it's based upon my experience and what I think helped me. I would definitely advocate, you know, getting some breadth of experience when you're starting out. Um because you know in your training a lot of us didn't get the opportunity to kind of pick placements you know you got allocated to work in certain areas and that was your exposure and actually there's probably a lot that you haven't seen um and sometimes you need to go out there and and see different things and see how it all comes together as a bigger picture before you decide what specialty I think you want to progress in um I would certainly say that breadth before kind of climbing the ladder definitely I mean I think you know there's obviously there's a shortage in nursing and so positions come up and you know there is an opportunity to progress sometimes fairly early in someone's career but that opportunity is always going to be there you know it's not going anywhere so and once you've get later into your career it's hardest it is a bit harder to move around so I'd say take the opportunity while you can to you know move around get a feel for things I think rotation programs are perfect for that because you know it does feel all the more permanent when you apply for a a specific job and you're recruited and then to leave it and look for something else whereas a rotation that's that's the whole point of it and for me the rotation was great because it came with a kind of program of education attached to it um, that people didn't get if you weren't on the rotation so that was great and you also had a group of peers that you were in the same boat with so it was a really good kind of mutual kind of support because you had that as students you had your fellow students around you so on a rotation program you know, there's people now that I rotated with that I'm still in touch with, you know, all these years later. So you, you build really good solid foundations with people. And it's, you know, it's a good forum for kind of debrief and support. Um, say try and keep up your kind of education. Because I mean, I, I'm learning the hard way now. I've now had a gap. And I really ought to have done my master's before now. And, and I haven't done it. And but now I've had that gap, making myself go back to it. It, it seems a really big hurdle whereas when you were in the way of, of, of you know you're of working alongside doing your academic work alongside your um, clinical work it was hard work don't get me wrong but you were in that kind of pattern and rhythm yeah, um, it part of it didn't it yeah yeah um, and I think knowledge is most definitely power um, so actually if you can consolidate what you're doing in clinical practice with formal educational opportunities then 
I'm a great advocate for that. Once I got into my matron and then senior nurse and then this role, it never felt right because I was like, oh, well, it's a new role. I need to adjust. I need to give up my all to this role. I can't be just concentrating on education. So I, I feel like I've missed that boat a little bit and it's going to be a harder step to, to go back to. But I think I, I definitely will, but it's just getting the timing right. And I don't know, it's different for different people. Some people like a plan, but for me, I didn't. And I, the fact it's been organic and it's just things have happened as opportunities came up, but it's been right for me. Um, and I don't have a career plan for the future either, really. I mean, I, I assume I'll get to a natural point of transition where I think actually it's time to do something else. I think what's been useful for me this past year is I've started some kind of leadership coaching. And when the idea was kind of put to me as being available as an opportunity, I, I probably got to say I put my nose up a little bit thinking well I don't think I really fancy that yeah. you know what's what, what's it going to add how is it going to help but I'd like to say I was wrong because it's been really useful I mean I think it'd be useful regardless but throughout the pandemic definitely it's been useful and um I think if you've got the right person that you gel with and maybe sometimes people go to a coach and it's not the right person and they might they give it up then I'd say well don't maybe try somebody else because there's a lot to be gained from it and I'm still you know taking that up now and when I speak to our director of nursing and even the group chief nurse now that's something they strongly advocate too and it's something they all partake in is is kind of um, leadership coaching and these people they're really astute they they pick up on your kind of body language um the underlying messages of things you're telling them about what's going on and they reflect reflect things back on you that you just weren't kind of consciously aware of yourself and actually yeah and and yeah really beneficial and I think thinking about a leadership role I would definitely um think about coaching as being kind of a, a very important and integral part of that I just um, I've just started my PhD and I had to I met one of the tutors and it was like basically it was like tell me about your career tell me about you why are you doing this and you're so open-ended you're like um well uh I and actually and then they fed back to me what they'd got from me from the sessions and how I'd been and they were completely bang on the money and everything they'd said and I was like how over zoom in a couple of hours have you and I wasn't even aware that that was a trait in myself that I don't know existed or that was something that I should work on or develop so I think it's that someone else's I guess it's changing your awareness isn't it of yeah definitely definitely and I think as well and this is something I've had to learn and adapt to in moving to a leadership role is I think when you're in when you're a junior nurse and you're progressing in a specialty um you know your your focus is on delivery of patient care and rightly so and yes you you interface with other people and you, and you do work as a team and you educate and support people but obviously when you step into that leadership role you have to be very kind of self-aware of how you are as a leader how you interact with other people your behavior your body language your you know how you listen or if you listen um and I think you have to adapt quite you know readily according to the different people you work with you know something in the pandemic I at the beginning of the first wave I thought I thought I'm doing quite a good job and I'm being thorough and I'm you know writing SOPs and and things and staffing modeling about what we needed to achieve and I thought I was being I thought I thought I was doing a good job but then when I was pitching it to the people who needed to hear it I just feel I felt it wasn't landing properly and I, and I just I, it, it, I just couldn't get around why you know what is it and so I had to ask a lot of questions and uh, I talked to our coach about it 
And actually it was, I'm someone, and I think maybe this is a kind of a trait with my two nurses, I very much like detail. I like yeah. to be thorough. You know, I was writing reams and reams about this, this, and this, and this is what could happen, and this is the yeah. risks, and this is. And actually, they didn't want to hear that. They wanted. I just headlines. got told for a piece of feedback. They were like, "You're too detailed. Like, why are you planning for something? <laughs> the chance of that happening is time. Like, but if it did happen, this is what I could do. And it was like, yeah, they don't. It's not a problem. Like, yeah, yeah, they just wanted the the kind of broad overview or the focus. And I'm 500 steps down next year, and that's not where they wanted to be at all. Yeah, yeah so it's it must very be an <laughs> Yeah. And about having to adapt where you're comfortable and what your preference and how you, you know, how your preference in working is to the people who you're working with, because it, it doesn't just need to fulfill your need. It needs to fulfill, fulfill their needs, too. And that's been a big learning curve and it's still a learning curve for me. So I'm having to do I'm probably still putting the detail in. And but then I'm filtering it out into a one page. And this is what you want to know, <laughs> you know, so it, but it's, it's been that adaptable, being adaptable, you know and definitely important when working at kind of these levels well thank you so much nicola for joining me today it's been um, i can't believe you've had the time to fit me in so thank you so much <laughs> not a problem <laughs> thank you